1: What's the garden of the Lord? The garden of the Lord is the garden of Eden because it says there that God in Eden planted a garden for Adam. That was the garden of the Lord. So it says here that Sodom was like the garden of Eden. It was beautiful. And then it describes Sodom, it says also, as like the land of Egypt as thou comest unto Zoar. So in other words, it's like Goshen where the Jewish people are found. So it was beautiful. It was a beautiful place it was like the Garden of Eden it was like a paradise it was like Hawaii Sodom was but Sodom was also a place of paradise ruined it was like Hawaii a place where there was rampant also in Sodom that was terrible It was a corrupting place so why did God allow the Egyptian to put the Israelites into slavery Why did God allow this hatred to the Jewish people to so thrive and blossom as to make the lives of the Jewish people miserable? When Israel was put into slavery, Goshen, the paradise, was ruined. It was ruined, and God loves Israel too much to let them think that Goshen could become their heaven. God gave an example to Israel of how much he loved them because he described to them the danger that could happen to them and can happen to us when he made a description about the people of Moab which God did in Jeremiah 48 11, And God described Moab like this. Moab hath been at ease from his youth, and he hath settled on his lees, and hath not been emptied from vessel to vessel, neither hath he gone into captivity, therefore his taste remained in him, and his scent is not changed. God said that Moab lived a life of ease. Moab was on easy street. Moab never went into captivity like Israel went into the Babylonian captivity. And as a result, Moab, is likened to wine. And the analogy that God uses for Moab is that of wine that is fermenting. And evidently, wine develops its strongest flavor or its taste when it's just left alone, when it's just not agitated. And that's called, in this verse, settling on its lees. When wine is left to settle on its lees, the fermentation process develops in the strongest flavor, the strongest taste when wine is left to settle on its lees and wine loses its flavor or its taste when it is not left alone and when it is agitated and especially when wine is poured from one vessel to the other vessel. And God said that Moab is like a wine that was never agitated. It's like a wine that was never poured from vessel to vessel. And therefore, Moab, like a wine, developed its strongest taste or its strongest flavor. What's that mean? Developed its own strongest taste or strongest flavor. You know, Paul said in Romans 7, 18, he said, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Paul used the present tense of that verb to dwell. Paul was saying that dwelling in me presently, right now, dwelling in me, dwells in me right now. Now, right then and there, he said, was no good thing. Paul was not saying, he was not saying that before I was a believer, in me dwelt no good thing. He wasn't saying that. He was saying that after I am now the Apostle Paul and leading the church and writing and teaching and instructing, he said, dwelling in me right now at this moment, sin, and that is no good thing. That's what he was saying, and that's what he's really teaching us, that sin dwells in us today as believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the Moabites had no agitation in their lives, as the Moabites were living on easy street, as the Moabites did not go into a Babylonian-type captivity, as a result, the sin that was inside the Moabites was just becoming stronger and stronger like a more and more deep intense flavor of the Moabite sin and taste of the Moabite sin like wine that's left undisturbed selling on its leaves gets the stronger and stronger flavor because the Moabites had no trouble like going into captivity like they were never poured from vessel to vessel and they were just fermenting without any interruption. And God was saying to the Israelites, I love you too much to let that happen. God did not want the Jewish people to become like Moab. So he allowed their Goshen paradise to become ruined and their lives to become miserable. And God does not want us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to become like Moab. So he decides this paradise will be ruined on earth for us. He loves us too much to allow the sin within us to ferment on easy street, for it to settle on its lees. And so what do we find? We, that agitation comes into our lives and we feel like our lives is just being poured from one vessel to the other, like Job with one terrible news after another on the heels of another terrible news. And Joab is being poured from vessel to vessel. And we experience during this time when we're being poured from vessel to vessel during the time of our greatest conflicts, our greatest afflictions, that we're experiencing the greatest growth like the children of Israel did then. The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. Now, we look now at verse 15 because the spotlight is now on Pharaoh, and we see here that the king of Egypt is speaking to these midwives. So we really have three people on the stage here that the Holy Spirit has chosen to spotlight for us. We have the king of Egypt, he's not called Pharaoh, he is the king of Egypt, the superpower here, the ruling despot whose word was the law and he's standing before these insignificant people. Shifra, that name means in Hebrew, a beautiful glistening. Puah, that name means in Hebrew, a glitter. A glitter with a radiance. The names of these two women of God are expressing here how God saw them. When God saw the stage down there and he sees Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he sees darkness. Before them, these two humble women, insignificant, he sees them as glittering radiance, brilliance, and before a man of darkness. And what do we see here in verse 16? The brutality of a king, commanding these two women of God, kill the male babies. And Pharaoh takes his place here, as he says this, among the other murderers in the scripture. He takes his place among Herod, the murderer of the Jewish children, who he said, he made the decree that all the Jewish children from two years and under should be murdered in Matthew 2, 16 through 18. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth, and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard lamentation and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. So Pharaoh takes his place here among Haman also in Esther 3.13, and the letters were sent by the post into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. This is nothing new in the history of God. This is nothing new, this murderous spirit that has arisen here, that but in both Verses 15 and 16, we see the same words that the king of Egypt says. And the king of Egypt spake, and again, and he said. So what we can see here is an indication of his first approach to these midwives, which was persuade them, intimidate them, cause them to obey, on his, to act on his murderous plans based on his authority. Oh, but he doesn't know who he has there. He has two women of God, these midwives. So in verse 16, we see Pharaoh getting in their face, being very explicit, clear, crystal clear, and he tells them the details exactly of what they are commanded to do so that there'll be no doubt at all of his instructions. We see the murderous, we see the heartless spirit of Pharaoh. And when he said, when you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew children and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, you shall kill him. Imagine how Pharaoh is saying, you will look carefully at these Hebrew women, and then you'll look them in the face. And then when you look your own people in the face, women who you've grown up with, who you've known all your life, who you've helped along through their pregnancy, doesn't matter. You look at them eye to eye, but you also remember the eye to eye that we're having right now. And you will see in them at that time in their most vulnerable position, and you'll see their babies that they have hoped for, longed for, loved. And when they're coming out head first, as babies do, you will see the head and you will also look at those babies, and you'll recognize, and even though you recognize that those babies look like their mother, but there'll be a time, and when you see the baby, and you know, because a moment later, when the midsection of that baby comes out, you will recognize, and when you see a male, you will know that is the baby that you must kill. Now, that's been the spotlight on Pharaoh. Now the spotlight goes to the midwives. It says, these midwives, they didn't obey Pharaoh. And the question really becomes, why? Is it that they didn't obey Pharaoh because it would have been abortion and they hated abortion? Is it because they love the mothers and they decided to, in uh, deference to their love to the mothers, decided not to kill the babies? Is it that, It's just wrong, it's just ethically wrong to kill babies and that's why they did it. Is it because they feared the mothers because the mothers would figure it out and come after them? It's so significant that not one of those reasons is given. Not at all. In fact, the one reason, the only reason that is given and said twice was simply this explanation, they feared God. That's the only reason. Even though they put themselves at the risk of death, these women disobeyed because they feared God. They feared God who had created those babies. They feared God who did everything for those babies to live and they refused to kill the babies because they feared God. Hang that around their necks, and happy they are. We are women who fear God. They were women of God. And these women would have been known as the ones, as it says here, they saved the men children alive. And that's what makes these midwives so great was not just because they saved the men children alive, because they did it because they feared God. Because they realized that they saw themselves again at a crossroads. And the crossroads road: fear Pharaoh. One street was labeled fear Pharaoh, and then if so, kill the babies. And another street is labeled fear God, and if so, save the babies, save the male children alive. And they made their decision to walk down the road of fear God and save the men children alive. That's what makes them so great. And so if they're called now into Pharaoh's court, so to speak, in this year, and the accusation is: you have saved the men, children alive. That's the great accusation in verse 19, when they're called to give an account here. It says the midwives said unto the Pharaoh, "What are they saying unto Pharaoh? Because they're called to give an account. Because they've been accused. They've been accused of disobeying Pharaoh. They've been accused of saving the men children alive. They're called. This is a court. This is the court here. And now they take the witness stand. These two women of God, and they have a very, very clever explanation. An explanation that evidently was believable. And because after all, the Egyptians were just amazed." How do the Jewish women have so many babies? You know, how is it possible that the more, the more, how is that happening? And the midwife said, well, we'll tell you, Pharaoh, we'll tell you. You see, the Jewish women are very different, they explained, from the Egyptian women. And they said the Jewish women were full of life. It says lively, vigorous, we could say. It's the word hayat. which is like to life and and God breathed into man the breath of life and it's describing it's associating the Jewish women with life it says the Jewish women are they have life and what they're really saying here is almost a double meaning in their minds they're thinking to themselves our God who we fear is a God of life our God said, let there be, and there was life. Our God breathed into the nostrils of man the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That's our life. That's our God, and our life comes from God. And so they were happy to describe the Jewish women as haya, as women of life. That's why Jewish people oftentimes have a yud and a hey for a chai, as they call it, a chai. Anyway, and that means life. That's the life. And so they associated themselves with life, and they associated their people with life when they said the Egyptian, it was a double meaning. He said the Jewish people are lifely. They have life, not like the Egyptian people. In other words, the Egyptian women and the Egyptian people, their whole goal is death, kill the male children. And they said, by contrast. And so it was kind of like a double meaning there. But they said the Jewish women are full of life. They're vigorous. Babies almost seem to jump out of them. And the midwives were very convincing. I don't know. They must have been waving their hands and around and looking very frustrated and expressing that they just couldn't make it in there in time for these feisty, vigorous Jewish women. They're gone before they even get there, king. In verse 20, they had so much put into their heart, the saving the saving, maintaining life, that the word of God goes to the trouble of giving us the exact details of their argument they made to Pharaoh. That's precious. God says, bravo, praiseworthy. And that's why it says in verse 20, Therefore, after that brilliant performance on the part of these two women here, and what they said, and what they said and how they honored God and how they did it because they feared God. Therefore, it says in verse 20, therefore, God dealt well with the midwives. We can picture God standing up, clapping say, bravo, bravo. And it says, and furthermore, the more kicked in. And it says, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. It says, and waxed very mighty. You know, there's also a lesson in there before we go on further to really see that these women feared God and gave themselves to the saving. The Egyptians, which were really the ruling body at that time, were all about death, just die. But by contrast, these midwives feared God and they saved alive. That's a lesson for us. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are all about life. We are all about saving, saving from death, saving in order that there might be eternal life. And so when we go about, we should think of ourselves as this Shifra and Puah. And when there are obstacles against us from speaking the gospel of life, from giving forth the words of life, the words of this life that it's called, we should remember and follow in the steps of these great women of God who say, we fear God, we will save. We fear God. We will speak boldly of the Lord Jesus Christ because we know that whosoever believeth in him will not perish and will have everlasting life. They become for us models for evangelism, these two women. They become for us our examples of how we should fear God and disregard what others might say and speak forth the words of life as they did in saving the men children alive. Wonderful. And God honored them god honored them and it says in verse 20 that god dealt well with the midwives he dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty but he dealt well with the midwives and then it says in verse 21 it came to pass because the midwives feared god and remember all those different reasons and it doesn't say any of those that they hated abortion that they were afraid of the jewish women or et cetera. Et cetera. it says because they feared god that he made them houses because these midwives had put their lives on the line and came up with that ingenious explanation about the Jewish women being so lively and vigorous and so forth, and they couldn't kill the babies as Pharaoh required, and, and they were so convincing that it just infuriated Pharaoh. And so you can picture this. I mean, you can picture Pharaoh's countenance as people just turning against them. How could you do this? And, and why didn't you? And we're sorry, king. And so they're leaving there with the anger and the hatred on the face of Pharaoh and the Egyptians toward them. And what do they see when they turn up to God? They see the smile and the pleasure of God. What a picture. And they got, because they got right in line with the will of God for the Jewish people to multiply. And as for Pharaoh, he saw his command paralyzed. By who? Two insignificant midwives. Plan is paralyzed. Again, it's noted that the primary reason why these midwives did it because, why did they defy Pharaoh's order was because they feared God. And with no explanation, no explanation of when, no explanation of how, just a simple statement, it says that God made them houses and were left clean without any details at all. But it's clear, as it says, God made them houses. What? We don't know. Where? We don't know. How? We don't know. What did it look like? We don't know. It said God made them houses. Why does it say that? Well, because he did. Why does the Word of God, why does the Holy Spirit choose to highlight that truth that God made them houses? I'll tell you, because God built for them houses. Because these midwives feared God and built the house of God. What is the house of God? The house of God is people. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ said. He said, I will build my church, assembly, my congregation, my kehala, my ecclesia, called out once. I will build my church, not the building, but the people. I will build my church, the Lord Jesus Christ said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The house of God is a people. The house of God is the people of God. And these two midwives here were building the house of God. They looked at those male babies as they were born, and they, this male baby, these male babies, will be part of the house of God. This will be the house of God. They will be believers in God. They will be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ as he was revealed to them as Jehovah. They will be, and they saw that. They were building the house of God. Destroy the house of God, never. Kill the male babies, never was their attitude. Build the house of God. Build the house of God. And God said, you built the house of God, I'll build you houses. And he did. And he built for them houses. And that's thrilling. And we just can't wait to get to heaven to find more details. But well, we have to wait till then. So as far as these women were concerned, they honored God and they experienced God's honoring to them. In Hebrews 6.10, talking about this. And maybe they would have sat there and they said, God, did you really see what we did? Did you really take notice of it? And the answer could come from Hebrews seven ten. God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which ye have showed toward his name in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. That could have been applied to them, perfect. God could say, God's not unrighteous you two midwives, shifron puah, to forget your work and how you defied Pharaoh's command, risked your own life, your work and labor of love which you have showed toward his name, the people of God, the name of God, and that you minister, do minister. They fell right in under the showers of blessing that we read about in Genesis 12.3. I will bless that bless thee. And as you read that verse, as God spoke it to Abraham, you can hear, you can feel, you can sense the showers of blessing. I will bless them that bless thee. Showers of blessing. I will bless them that bless thee. I will bless those that bless the Jewish people. Whether you're Jewish or not Jewish, I will bless them that bless the Jewish people. And he blessed them. But he also said, and I will curse him that curseth thee. And on the other hand, we have Pharaoh, them, cursing the Jewish people. And in this book, we're going to see how God cursed Pharaoh. Now, the spotlight again on Pharaoh. Pharaoh's infuriated. He is giving up his plan to work through the midwives and now his murderous rage just turns to the Egyptian people in verse 22 where it says, and Pharaoh charged all his people saying, every son that is born you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive.
0: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God.